Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Work, the podcast that Gina Killey and I do on a regular basis, where we interview the deeper thinkers in the HR technology space and learn about what they're doing and what's going on. Today's episode features Thomas Otter, who is the general partner at Acadian Ventures. Thomas is a, is a man about town in the industry and has been um, all over the place. He spent a long time sort of shepherding ideas forward at SAP. He had an independent uh, consultant streak, and now he is a GP. Uh, he's one of the smartest people in the space. And so, Thomas, I'm going to ask you to fill in the blanks in my shabby little introduction there. Well, John, I think my my mum would have been part of that introduction, so thanks. I'll, I'll take that one. Um, yep. So for those of you who don't know me, I've, I've lurked in HR tech since – uh, oh, 1992, um, when I was at business school, I was studying labor law and uh, HR and stuff. And some guy came around the business school and said, hey, does anyone here have a computer? And, you know, it was 1992, and I was probably the only one to put up my hand. And he said, good, I've got a job for you in something called HR technology. And I said, great, what does it pay? And he said, twice the starting salary of an HR manager. So I said, great. And uh, I've really been involved in HR tech uh, ever since. I spent, uh, I joined SAP in the 90s. Uh, they moved me to Germany. Uh, I spent some time with SAP in the UK. I spent a lot of time in America with them. Um, I then went to Gartner, where I worked with Jim Holinchek, who you guys know very, very well. We were creators of, of magic quadrants and other such uh, things and other fine words and fine thoughts at Gartner. And then I went back to Success Factors uh, just after it was acquired by SAP to help build um, something called Employee Central. Uh, Lars Delgard and Dmitry Kukovsky at the time said, hey, we need somebody who knows about SAP but isn't a German and knows about Americans and isn't American and knows about on-premise but isn't an on-premise laggard and knows about the cloud but isn't like, like just a cloud bigot. And uh, we drew up a short list and there's only like one person in the world on it. So we'll give you the job and uh, will you come? So then I joined Success Factors. Uh, so I went back into the SAP, if you like, uh, as part of Success Factors. And I was there for uh, um, oh, nearly six years, five and a half years or so. Um, and eventually I, I was I was leading the product management, product management organization. Um, I left SAP while I took some time off to finish my PhD. Um, focusing on how compliance is built into enterprise software. Um, and then I decided to set up my own advisory business. And um, I worked with, you know, many HR tech companies, um, uh, Europe and US based on product strategy and go to market and so on. So, you know, many of the vendors that you'll know are, we've been clients of mine. Um, and sorry, this is a bit of a long story. And, you know, when I left SAP, one of the things I did is I was talking to Jason, who was setting up a event, Jason Corsetto, who was setting up a VC fund called Acadian. And I decided to invest in Acadian as a limited partner. A limited part, for those of you that don't understand VC or don't know about VC, limited partner is an investor into a VC. Um, so I became a limited partner of, of Acadian Fund One. And Acadian Fund One has done really, really well. It's been probably the most successful, if not, you know, one of the most successful funds uh, focusing on HR technology in the world. Uh, it's had super returns for the investors, um, investing in companies like Nomi Health, uh, uh, Oyster, and so on. It's had a really good run. And so towards the end of last year, Jason said, Thomas, you know, why don't you join me as a 
you know, in the in the fund full time uh, as a GP, and which is a general partner. So I've switched, if you like, from being an investor in the fund to now being uh, an active manager of portfolio companies, and we seek out portfolio companies and we make you know, investments in HR tech or, or work tech, work tech uh, companies. So. You know, while I've done various roles in HR technology, I suppose the common theme throughout has been HR technology itself. So I've gone from from sort of consultant through product manager, analyst, and um, consultant again, and now I'm now I'm an, an evil venture capitalist. So <laughs> that's great. That's great. You look evil. So so <laughs> uh, the 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 question that that jumps right out of all that for me is is you mentioned work tech. And I am personally baffled by the distinction between HR tech and work tech. You want to? Uh, I am help? too, John. I, I, you know, I hear the I, terms used interchangeably. I, I, I'd really like Thomas's guidance on that. Well, I can't help you. I'm also confused. <laughs> <laughs> well, with this amazing career you've had, I, uh, we were hoping <laughs> we would open well, for we, your we guidance. We had this a couple of years ago with like HCM, and that was going to be the word, yes, right? Yes, yeah. And like we kind of drift, seem to have drifted back to HR again. Um, so I think the, the the concept, at least we see with 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 work tech, it's a little bit broader than HR tech. Right? So HR tech is typically a technology where the and this is simplifying a bit, where the HR department has a fundamental role in the buying process. Right. I always think that bring things down to the money. And they, my right. definition of HR tech is stuff that is usually bought by HR. They may be yeah, buying who has the budget. Uh, but yeah. HR is playing a leading role in the investment decision. Now, work tech includes HR tech, so it's a broader term. But it also includes things that are that are, if you like, people or worker related, that may not necessarily be bought by HR. You know, so contingent labor systems, for instance, is a, you know, is an example of that. Um, learning management systems that are bought specialist for specialized around uh, around the sales force, um, for an ex- example. Um, those would be examples of broader, you know, of broader work tech. Perhaps even collaboration tools would be an example of of, of broader. Of broader work tech, so Zoom would, if you like, be on the edge of work tech. Um, you know that would maybe help helps make it clearer. So if you think about HR tech as as the 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 core activities that the HR department concerns with, and the HR department purchases, and then work tech is the broader is that broader sphere, but often has a has a massive influence on on the on the employee and how work gets done. Yeah, it has a very operations or you know worker productivity feel to it. I, I'm curious. So, so with the shift in potentially the shift in the buyer. I mean, we're used to HR being the buyer. So you touched on contingent, which I'm assuming we're bringing procurement into the mix. There are there other buyers you're observing in this in this category. Um, you know, if you go to the startup level, you find your You'll find the CEO, CEO being often being the buyer. You know, the, mm-hmm. the person leading the organization is looking for, you know, systems to to manage the workforce and may not even have a have yet have an established, you know, HR HR leadership. And then, you know, in the in the enterprise organizations, we see a lot of solutions that you would think were HR uh, being bought, for instance, by the the chief operations officer. 
You know, mm. an example of that, for instance, is is you know if you look at some of the the strategic workforce planning uh, stuff, um, sometimes that's bought you know outside HR because it has this intersection. If you think with finance, you know, and and it may well be the uh, the finance function that's leading that um, uh, uh, leading that that activity. So so the lines are blurring. Um, I think HR still remains a very powerful and, and important buying center, but um, you know if you look across the organization. Different functions are, you know, more and more interested in, you know, how they're managing their people, and you know, many of these departments have their own, have their own budgets and are are seeking out tools that 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 um, that help them, you know. So, mm, you know, potentially going going rogue you know. here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yes, I think yeah. there is an element of yeah. there is an element of that. The other side of it is that you know maybe sometimes HRs. You know, too much into itself and not enough into what the organization needs. So the organization goes out shopping. And so, you know, as a venture capitalist, I'm I'm interested in in all those, you know, all those activities around the, you know, around the um, you know, around the workforce, you know, whether they're whether it's HR that's the buyer or whether it's, you know, other parts of the organization that are the buyer, or whether it's sometimes the employee themselves or the or the manager themselves mm. or the or the, you know, or the economic buyer. You look at some of the well-being stuff, for instance, and and that's often driven by, you know, by um, by employee self-interest or or manager, you know, manager self-interest. Yeah. I wonder. The if coaching it's... tools and so on often are not always acquired by the by the um, you know, by the HR by the HR department, but sometimes are are bought on an individual basis. So I think there's some you know fascinating dynamics about how the how the buyer behavior is 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 changing and 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 evolving, but you know, yeah. I wonder. I wonder if if what you're talking about is really just a level of sophistication in the technology that comes because we've finished the phase of HR tech that's about forms automation, and um, in order to do forms automation, you had to imagine a universal HR department that did all the same things for all the same people at all the same time. And that was never true, um, but it was a useful design conceit so that you could get big enterprise things up and running. And today, the expansion of the market requires sort of the beginnings of ditching that idea that there's a one-size-fits-all HR department and that in order to get people functioning properly in their context you have to have a broader view of uh, of the of the sort of product market fit overall and that um, um upsets the idea of a universal hr department does that align with your thinking it does yeah and um you know this is something that i'm toying with at the moment you know as we've spent you know we've spent that the last 30 years on a centralization jaunt right Right. Trying to like globalize, 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 mm-hmm. standardize, 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 standardize. Right. Single platform, yeah, Single all, platform the, all the buzzwords. <laughs> yeah, and and I think that that paradigm, or that you know, I hate that word paradigm. I don't know why I'm using it, but that that concept of a you know single HR system is you know, super. You know, has has always been this sort of nirvana at the end of the you know the end of the brick road. You know that we're trying to get to. Um, and you know the question I ask myself is, you know, do we always need that nowadays? You know, because if I look at HR tech, no offense to the large vendors, a lot of the innovation today is in the SME level. 
Yeah. Right. Um, so if you were to say, if you were to go back 15 years ago and say to the head of HR of an SME company, so say with 300 employees, do you have great HR tech? They would look at you as if you were bananas and they would you know, call you a fruit bat and kick you out the room. Right. And if you went to the head of HR of a, of a large corporate, you didn't say, you know, do you have HR technology and do you like it? And, you know, 15 years ago, I said, yes, you know, we've got, you know, we got all the stuff. It's, you know, it's really designed for us. It does, does what we need. So the innovation 15 years ago was at the enterprise. And my sense today is a lot of the innovation is happening in the SME. And, you know, if you're a midsize, you know, a midsize organization today, you have, you have HR systems that fit your needs. You know, you have really good, you know, learning management systems. You have, you know, really nifty recruitment technology. Um, you have uh, lightweight, easy to use core HR systems, right? You have uh, great payroll service providers now offering you, you know, offering all kinds of, all kinds of options. So, you know, in the 100 to 1,000 employee range, there's actually a lot of awesome technology that's fit for purpose. And I think at the enterprise, we, we're a bit behind at the moment. Um, uh, I think it's time for, yeah, you know, it's time for some a disruption wave again in the enterprise. Um, you know, we've had, you know, 15 years of centralizing SaaS, and it's gone well, I think, generally. But I think, you know, whenever you get to a point where, where there's a stalemate with the major vendors, uh, it's time for some, you know, it's time for some disruption. And as a yeah, as a VC, I'm, I'm, you know, fascinated about where that disruption is going to come from. Yeah, so I kind of split. I'm, I'm rambling on a bit here, but I, I split our investment thesis, or we split our investment thesis into a couple of, you know, a couple of chunks. Um, there are applications which, which are very, very interesting that that augment the existing environment. You know, so an example of that would be, you know, a really sophisticated, powerful skills management engine that bridges across, you know, your recruitment, learning, and so on, and, and works together with those different different systems. That's an it augments your existing environment, right? Right. Some employee experience layer that goes across the top of your applications. That's an augmenting. That's an augmenting technology. Um, something like a, a, a recruit a reporting platform that takes stuff from different sources. That's an augmenting. That's an augmenting tool, right? Or an augmenting service, and that's a very interesting space. Then there are there is this expansion. Um, an example of the or, or category creation. An example of that, for instance, would be employee communication software, right? You know, five years ago, you know, if you said to me like, "There's a market for something called employee communication software," I would have said, "Well, what do you mean? You know, you've got your portal and you've got your HR system. You know, what do you, you know, what do you, you got your internet? What do you need?" And you know, actually, we've seen a a, 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 a superb uh, evolution of this new buying center, which is comms. The comms function and the comms function com, com, function are demanding better tools and better capabilities to communicate with the employees. Now, often the comms function isn't part of HR, it's part of marketing, right? Or it's part of the office of the CEO. So that's an example of work tech, for instance, would be the comms function, right? They're buying technology that directly impacts the day-to-day -day life of the employee, but it's maybe not bought by HR. And that space of comms has grown as a new if you like, as a new category. So there's been a category creation there. So I'd see employee communications tools as a as a fascinating category creation. And then the final thing we have is the is the fundamental disruptors. What are the where are the vendors that are going to disrupt the status quo? So where is the vendor that's going to replace 
you know, SAP, Oracle, ADP, Workday, et cetera? Is that lurking somewhere? And what does that look like? Um, and so as we look at investments, we kind of kind of think about them in those, you know, in those terms. So um, I'm fascinated by the augmenting tools because I, you know, from my vantage point, that's where I've seen the most activity in yeah. recent years. Um, and of course, uh, comms are near and dear to my heart. But when you look at fundamental disruptors, who's really in a position to break glass there? Because I just see the same old, same old coming out of the players in that category. No, I, I think I don't want to like just like highlight particular names, but I think mm-hmm. you know some of the disruptors that I'm you know I've been very impressed with. Um, I don't have an investment in them, but I've been super impressed with them. Is High Bob, for instance, right? Okay, so that's but isn't that that's mid market as opposed to large enterprise, isn't it? Yeah, um, but who knows? You know. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's an example <laughs> of you know. You know, the likes of, you know, SAP and Workday and Oracle and others would say, oh, you know, a thousand employees, that's our turf, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't think it is anymore, you know. Mm, interesting. If I had a thousand, you know, if I was uh, if I was operating a company in, you know, 10 countries, this is going to sound like a high bob pitch. I shouldn't really be giving a high bob pitch, but I'll give one anyway. If I was, if I had a thousand employees across 10 countries, you know, I'd go bob, you know. And, you know, what's to say that, you know, when I'm 5,000 employees, I don't stay there, you know. Um, and, you know, something will come, something will come and disrupt, disrupt the likes of the, will disrupt the likes of the, the traditional model. Also, the other thing we might see happen is that the, is that um, the share of wallet and the share of attention and uh, the share of relevance of the core HR system might diminish, right? Interesting, right. So, yeah. yeah. We'll have one. So, you know, payroll started in 1951, right? That was when the first payroll was done, 1951 in the UK Lions Tea Room, right? Right. And I love this story. I'm going to tell you guys a story, even if you heard it a hundred times. I love a good payroll story, Thomas. Please tell us. I love payroll. Payroll's my favorite. <laughs> it is one of my favorites, too. <laughs> so payroll is going to be disrupted, right? Payroll is being disrupted now. We could come back to that. But in 1951, right, um, there was a company in the UK called the Lions Tea Room. Right. And think about that as, as the as the McDonald's of its day, but serving tea, right? Tea and cake, right? And it was all over the UK. It was it was a uh, really really impressive business, and they decided to automate using this newfangled thing that they'd heard about from World War II called a computer. Right? And so they got together with Cambridge University, and they said, okay, what are we going to automate first? Right? And they said, I know what, you know what takes us a lot of time is a huge pain in the butt is payroll, right? Calculating, adding up all those shillings and pence and all that stuff, you know, in those days it was the shillings and all that stuff. You're adding all that stuff and working out the tax and deducting it and whatever. It was taking about taking about 10 minutes, uh, 10 minutes of pay slip, pay slip to do it manually. And they said, you know, can we, can we automate this? And so the boffin said, yes, we could do that. And so it took them two years to build the payroll. And so they built this payroll. And at the same time, they built the computer because the computer didn't actually exist. So in two years, they built the computer, the programming language. They figured out what payroll was and they shipped it. And they shipped it to Lions Tea Room. And it was a great success with Lions Tea Room. And they spin this off as a separate company, which, came, which became ICL. Right. And um, uh, they then, by 1954, um, they were processing that same computer was processing payroll for 
for Ford in the UK for 20,000 people. Yeah. And I just love this story. That's great. That's a great trajectory, isn't it? Yeah, I just, I, uh, HR Tech is, is such a fun innovation place. It's a game changer. It's a game changer. It looks like John John wants to jump in here with a comment. Please jump in, John. I've been talking for <laughs> well, well, uh, the Well, I guess the question is, where is the um, um, green space here, right? The, the, the traditional thinking about AI, if you imagine that as a grid, most of the boxes are filled in. Um, and, and part of why it feels like to me there's a sort of a um, a plateau in innovation in HR tech is is if you look at all of the places that are traditional where you might do some kind of innovation, there's something there. There's something there, and I haven't I haven't yet seen an idea that's interesting that subverts any of that stuff or takes it and builds on it, you know, like you could do here's payroll. Nobody's ever done this before. And now we've got a trajectory because it's an obvious place to work. Do you see spots like that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, if you think, I think a lot about the, I spent too much time, I spent too much time at university. So, you know, I've, I've been a lifelong student, so I'm always doing some course or other. And, you know, the latest one I was doing was drop a name. I was at Oxford and I was doing all the stuff, learning about S-curves and, you know, innovation theory and all that kind of stuff, you know. And, and you know, a lot of this stuff is on a lot of the traditional HR tech and not call anything that's over 10 years old now sort of traditional is, you know, well on the way chugging up, you know, chugging up the S-curve. You know? yep. And, you know, this S-curve, I think, will get will get dragged along Quite nicely, because there's an inertia. There's inertia, especially in large enterprises. When something works, we don't need to change it. You know, but you know, if we go back to our friend payroll, you know, many organisations are running payroll technology that's that's thirty years old. Where else in the business are you running anything that's thirty years old? Yeah, you know, it's not. Oh, lights, power. You know, there's all sorts of stuff. Infrastructure things things are always old. Infrastructure things are always old. And but they're being, you know, if you look at banking, you know, banking has been been super disrupted by 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 new players, new banks and stuff that are coming in with new ways of new ways of doing things. Yeah, there are new payment technologies. I mean, there's earned wage access. There are changes in in payroll, but I think a lot of companies think it's not broken. Why do I have to? pay attention to this when I can be paying attention to other things that directly impact revenue generation. Sure. But the, the other thing that relates to this, Gene, is the, is the shift in the, the potential shift in the organizational model, right? So the technology, you know, Conway's law, whatever, reflects the organization, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So the core HR systems have evolved, you know, over time to affect the traditional corporate model of you know, of essentially the North American corporate model of, you know, strong headquarters and subservient subsidiaries, you know, the, the model has developed to that. But if we look at our work is changing with, you know, with remote work, uh, with new forms of contracting, with new forms of payment, we start to see a, a, a fragmentation of how work is done. Mm-hmm. Right? And as that fragmentation accelerates and grows, we'll see more and, work, more and more work done outside of the traditional employment model. And that's where the disruption will come is as the processes, as the processes change. So, you know, when I, I was just reading this morning, you know, um, Bali, right, has announced a five-year remote work visa. 
Uh, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. That's so, fabulous. Yeah. So you think about that for a moment and say, hey, you know, you know, yeah. you know, you know, so so the the assumptions we've had about how work's being done, I think are changing. I think are really, really changing. And that's that's super, for me, that's like super exciting. And I think that's where the innovation will come. I've, you know, one of our portfolio companies is a company called Oyster. And you know, you should get Tony on your show because you know, when you hear the when you hear him talk about you know how work is changing in the and the the social benefits of remote work. Um, you know, this is something that was you know, profoundly impacted on me. Is the you know the social when we look at our you know we look at our portfolio companies, we we're really thinking about how does our technology make work better, but also how does it make like work fairer? You know, so you know we look at DNI. We think a lot about DNI software, which I think is a super evolution. You know, being able to create transparency into wage gap, uh, wage gaps, and suggest ways of solving and so on. I think that is fabulous. But when you talk about about remote work done well, done fairly, it has the opportunity to to transform opportunity on a global scale. So people, if you're a good smart programmer living in Tanzania. You know, you can work for you can work for a great software company, but you don't have to leave Tanzania, right? And I, I think that's fabulous. I think that's, that's yeah, I, you're actually bringing me to something because this does it, the model you've just talked about. So, so having been to Tanzania, I mean, uh, I didn't bring when, that up. I didn't bring you, that up without when, knowing you had been. To, I didn't I'm, know you had been to Tanzania. I'm going to touch on economic indicators, but. You've just touched on something really important that we've not had the opportunity to talk to any of our guests about, and that is when you are not forcing someone to leave their community um, and impact their family. And so, so you know, they remain part of the economic uh, structure of uh, a, a place like Tanzania or Kenya or Nigeria, you know, could be Bali. Um, now there's... There's social change. There's exciting things going on there. Um, right. Do you think we're going to? Do you think remote work has become so pervasive and so accepted now that that we're not going to be looking at those old models where people have to be located, you know, within ten miles of the of the office, the headquarters? You know, I, I'm I'm scared of predicting the future, but you know, despite having been you know a gardener making. You know, world's expensive dartboards for years. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm scared of predicting stuff. You know, um, but it seems to me that we, you know, where there are two sides to this platform or remote work equation. One of them is a is a dark side, right? Right. Some of these platforms are supreme, are very very exploitative, right? They 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 do create. You know, if we think of, I'm not going to get names and stuff, but if you think of some of the food delivery things and some of the you know, and some of those kind of uh, uh, those type of services, they are they are not they are not at all um, they are exploitative, and they exploit the worker. They're, yeah, they're, and uh, so there's a big side of that, and the privacy implications, all sorts of you know work fragmentation in a negative sense, like I work five minutes here, oh okay, we don't need you, okay, you know, there there are some dark sides to 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 some of these models. And but there is also, I think, the opportunity for 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 goodness, and I think there is an opportunity for them to help, you know, drive and and uh, create opportunities. And it's not, I think, about wage arbitration. You know, when you look at it at a high level, you think, okay, it's great. I can get people, I can get people cheaply in country A, B, and C. You know, and there will be an element. There is an element of that, but I think in many industries, it's about 
where do I get, you know, where do I get good, you know, where do I get good programmers? Where do I get, get good, good, good technical people? Because there's so many processes are digitizing, right? There's such a demand for, for, for people with digital skills that, that um, I think the jobs will flow to where the people are rather than necessarily always the other way around, you know? John, what do you think of that? Oh, I think um, we're moving into a time frame where there's a whole lot of assumptions that are um, at risk, and the the key assumptions that 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 I think about are uh, climate change, which is going to cause a lot of people to move. So you won't move for work; you'll move to get your house out of the water. Um, or you'll move to get out of the desert that wasn't there before you got there. Um, there is the now rapid aging of the global population with a clear plateau in global population coming within eight or 10 years. So we're going to start dealing with declining workforce sizes. Um, and the last one is the progress that started with ideas like pay equity that will ultimately evolve to uh, opportunity equity inside of organizations. And um, these are all things that depend on us having a good answer to the question, what work is. This is sort of the reason we started the, the podcast. And we don't really know what work is. We know a lot of things around work but the way that value is created in this company is always different from the way the value is created in that company. And what constitutes work over here constitutes sloth over there. And we're going to have to get better at tailoring systems that allow for a mobile population that's aging, that is um, that has market impact on wages inside of the organization rather than using the organization as a buffer. Um, and um, those adjustments, those adjustments are, aren't really being addressed very well just yet in the supposed disruptive technologies. But that's, those are the forces that will be driving the shape of work for the next 10 years. Yeah, but I mean, if you were building a system today, you know, if you think about building you know, the systems of today, you wouldn't be basing it on the assumption that, you know, 75%, 75 of your people, 75% of your people are coming, going to come into an office, you know, and, um, you know, that it's going to be a highly centralized organization. I think, you know, we still, you know, I think if we think back, we've, we've, our systems have been all about the, about Henry Ford, you know, being driven back from the going back. We, we're still at the tail end of that world. Right of the yep. of the making yeah. physical stuff, right? And we're in a new world, right? And the metaphors we took before were from the production line. The metaphors we take from the future, rightly, rightly or wrongly, are from the software industry, right? So it's terms like agile and Scrum and and all these things are, are becoming part of the business vernacular, and we don't quite know how to use them yet in business. It took us a while to figure out Henry Ford, and it'll take us a while to figure out. You know, to figure out um, um, uh, how work is organized based on the based on based on digital premises, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It's going to create opportunity. Gina, we've gone way over rambling here. You I know. Like and stuff, yeah? 
Yeah, you know, regretfully, I think we're out of time. And I think the economy, um, I think the labor and the economic indicators, um, that's a big topic. So, Thomas, we're going to have to have you back. I hope that's okay with you. That's okay. I'm happy to come back. And the thing about the economy is that next time I come back, it'll be different. So. Yeah. That's so true. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Change is something we are assured of. Well, John, any closing comments from your end, please? No, no. This was a great start. We should have a fairly regular get together because because you're shedding light in ways that, that nobody else is shedding light. And I sure appreciate the fact that you spent the time here. Oh, it's lovely to see you both again. It's been it's been far too long. And let's let's make sure we do this again soon. Good. Thank you, Thomas. We appreciate your time today. This is The Work Podcast. Listen and learn.